Welcome to Speaking of Water. I'm Brett Walton, a reporter for Circle of Blue. My guest today is Stuart Orr. Stuart is the freshwater practice leader for the conservation group WWF. Thanks for joining us, Stuart. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for having me. Uh, we're talking today about a report that WWF commissioned called The High Cost of Cheap Water. The report looks at how freshwater and freshwater ecosystems are undervalued globally. There's a big headline number that we'll start with, and then we'll interrogate some of the of what that means. So the headline number from the report is that the economic use value of freshwater and freshwater sheds is $58 billion. Or sorry, $58 trillion. <laughs> Big difference there. $58 trillion, which is about 60% of global GDP. Um, so Stuart, when you look at that number from the report, what does $58 trillion in economic use value mean? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I well, it is a huge number, and and as your as your mistake, uh, you just made there uh, attest to, it, you know, you can kind of come up with a number here. Um, yes, it's an enormous number, and there was a big discussion um, about going out with such a big number, and and to be honest, I wasn't comfortable with it at the beginning, but I think the more we thought through this, the more we talked it through, the more I realized that we have to go out with this number. We have to do whatever it takes to um, shake people out of this sort of um, lethargy around around water. And, and we can talk about that in, in many different forms. Obviously, this is a direct and indirect water use. It's using ecosystem valuation tools, which are quite familiar to many people. Uh, they've been used many years in the past. We used uh, team valuation. Um, and of course, $7.5 trillion are direct water use. So that is water use that we would use for agriculture, for households, or water that would go into manufacturing, say industry, mining, et cetera. And those values and that quantification is quite easily defensible. The, the larger number, the seven times bigger number, which was even a surprise to us, is really the benefits that we accrue as societies and economies from functioning freshwater ecosystems. Um, and actually, when you stand back and think about it, that makes sense. I mean, water doesn't come from a tap. It comes from our incredible ecosystems. The job that they do in filtering water, protecting us from storms, storing water, uh, moving water, sediments, nutrients, um, providing free services, um, as well as home to biodiversity, which is quite dazzling, which also happens to be a huge chunk of food security in many parts of the world. Um, it's water that flows through turbines that keeps the lights on in many countries. It's water that does so many actions that we completely take for granted. And I think particularly in an era where climate change stories of droughts and floods are hitting the news on an almost daily basis, it's time for us to kind of re-examine, you know, water as a key commodity, as a key resource, as a human right, as an environmental need, as this medium by which people are feeling climate. And so in that sense, the number, yes, it's huge. Um, and yes, you could quibble over the methodology and say it was a few trillion less or a few trillion more. I think the point is that the it's about value more than anything. Um, and of course, if we had economic tools and if we had economic signals in the economic system in which we all live and breathe, then I would give you other numbers. But unfortunately, we don't because our economic system cannot pick up water the way that we know it should. And so it leaves us with this dilemma of either 
you know, going out and telling the story the way we do or um, continuing the way we are, which is pretending that water is free and, and therefore worthless and therefore not worth paying attention to. It's quite the opposite. Is this sort of number putting water in economic value terms like this, you know, is it necessary for, for change, you think? I think so. I mean, I, I mean, again, it's just anything to get people to um, think differently about water, right? Um, and I, I do think it's important because, again, it, it's, 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 it's helping us to tell the story of the values that we derive as societies and economies from water in ways that I think maybe get people to pay attention. I look back at my career in water, which goes almost 30 years now, and I think about the work I've been doing on the value of water all that time. And quite frankly, it just hasn't hit home. You know, all of the work we've done with the private sector or the finance sector or the insurance sector on water and water risk and how important it is to their businesses. You know, I'm not seeing the kind of action and movement that I would have hoped or would have thought by now. So, you know, whatever it takes, Brett. The introduction to the report is filled with these sorts of staggering figures on, say, wetland loss globally or number of people who do not have access to clean water or sanitation. Right. What would right. make the difference with this additional staggering figure? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the statistics on the access to clean water and sanitation have are staggering. And unfortunately, they've been staggering for an awfully long time. Um, and I feel like the water sector has been throwing money at that problem for, well, my whole career, uh, and I'm sure before. And the fact that we still have 2 billion people without access to safe water and, and even more uh, sanitation still strikes me as just staggering. You know, um, That's not necessarily a water supply issue as much as a failure to deliver development. I recognize that. But nonetheless, it's instructive that even though we know how societies and economies prosper and do better when they have water and sanitation services, and even though we know what it means to disruption of school for girls and education, even though we know how many people die because of waterborne diseases, we're, we still haven't fixed the problem, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm hoping that anything that brings attention to water and any methodology or numbers that can spark a conversation and get other people to um, see this differently is a good thing. You used the term lethargy a few minutes ago. And yeah. then there's a, another term in the executive summary, water blindness. And I want to read a, a brief uh, sentence here from the summary, and then we'll discuss that. Uh, it says, this water blindness, the lack of awareness and understanding of the importance of water resources, has come at an immense cost. The world is facing a pervasive and worsening water crisis that is undermining human health and planetary health. Right. Um, so right. I'm wondering, right. on the who has water blindness? I would say that you and I are not water blind. The people that I interview whose wells have gone dry are not water blind. They clearly recognize that this is essential and their lives have been changed forever with their, their well going dry. So who who has water blindness and where is the, the action point there? Yeah, I, I think obviously there's a lot of people who are very tuned into this issue. But I think we all, those of us in that community, take it for granted that everybody does. Um, it's taken us 27 climate cops to get water and rivers in the final uh, outcome document. Um, it took us until this year to get the words inland waters inserted in the CVD. It's taken us 47 years to have a UN summit on water. Um, the corporate world is tied up in net zero strategies. Um, 
the finance sector, it, it continues to invest in incredibly dumb infrastructure that destroys our rivers. There's a lot of people that are waterblind, Brett. You know, there, there's an awful lot of um, uh, there's an awful lot of discussion about climate and 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 you can look at the UN Food System Summit just a few years ago. You can read through the findings of the UN Food System Summit, and water isn't even mentioned. I mean, I, to me, somebody who cut my teeth on water through irrigation and water and agriculture, I find it absolutely staggering that we can be having global conversations about food summits and, and water isn't on the agenda. Likewise, climate, you know, so there is a water blindness out there. It is the, 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 the biome and it is the resource that is forgotten. And I think that's why we came out with a big number because it's also the resource that has no economic signals to send to anybody that we are doing the wrong things and maybe we need to reconsider how we are using water so um yeah water blindness is um pervasive i have to say it's pervasive pervasive in institutions even even like my own so it's not just something that the outside world is suffering from i think that um there's a whole bunch of people and different groups that that haven't reconciled this water challenge in the way that you and I would hope. One of the ways to do right or change this dynamic uh, is to invest in nature, the report says. How do we invest in nature? Who does it? What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, um, I, you know, I think there's there's been this huge push over the last few years. Obviously, we've all heard the terms nature-based solutions. And I think <clears throat> those of us who have been working in water for many years have seen, you know, wetland restorations and river restorations and all that kind of thing. I think there's a there's an opportunity now to to look at this at a much bigger scale and in a way that has uh, much greater benefits to society. Um, and I think that's really the key to a lot of a lot of this. It's not you know, I come from an environmental organization, of course. I'm not suggesting that we just restore these things for the sake of biodiversity, although that would be one of my arguments. I recognize that in order to get this, we have to convince people that this is good for society and economy. And the truth is, it is. I mean, we've seen so many examples around the world where restored wetlands or or, or reconnected river systems or, um, or, or um, you know, uh, watersheds that have been reforested um, capture and hold and protect and reduce risk to those downstream. I think because we, and again, the statistics in the report go to the fact that we've lost a third of our wetlands, you know, in the last 50 years. Um, we have lost biodiversity at an incredible rate. I mean, the freshwater biodiversity loss is something like 83% abundance loss since baselines in 1970. And then, of course, we've got the human um, human dimension that we've already talked about. So. I think any any opportunity for us to remind people that um, protecting ourselves from the ravishes of of climate change, a lot of the solutions are really in how we protect, restore, uh, re-engineer, um, rethink our relationship with the environment. And actually, some of the most cost-effective ways of protecting us and protecting nature is to is to invest in nature. There are a lot, and I mean a lot of people talking about financing mechanisms to do this. Some of them are working and happening. Some are, you know, good ideas that haven't really come to fruition, but I'm pretty encouraged by what I'm seeing in the sort of um, uh, sort of groundswell of, of organizations and, and groups and um, companies that are looking to 
create ways in which building with nature becomes financeable, maybe even bankable, and becomes an opportunity for people who haven't thought about this. You know, so yeah, we believe this is a strong, a strong solution. These sorts of economic assessments of nature are having a moment. The U.S. is beginning its first ever national nature assessment, trying to do these sorts of valuations of ecosystems and wetlands uh, within the U.S. borders. Is that something that could change the way that governments or businesses act? I hope so. I think those kinds of things might help. Uh, I think when we have those valuations and then we, it allows you to have a conversation about the values and the benefits that people derive from, from these systems, I, I, I hope that that leads us to, to better outcomes. Um, it, you know, it's sometimes unfortunate we have to put everything in dollar terms, but that's, again, where we are in trying to convince people that this is the right thing to do. Um, you know, we're really good at understanding value when we lose it but we're really, really bad, you know, like an ecosystem, you know, we something bad happens and we immediately can put a value on it, but we couldn't put a value on actually if we were looking after that ecosystem quite as well. So I, I welcome any kind of um, inventory or evaluation that allows us to be better at making decisions about how we want to use our resources and, and how we want to protect ourselves for the future. I think that's all that could be a good thing. That's basically a Joni Mitchell lyric. You don't know what you got till it's gone. Oh, I've heard that. (laughs) (laughs) Big yellow taxi. Yep. All right. Well, thank you, Stuart. The report is The High Cost of Cheap Water from WWF, talking with Stuart Orr, the freshwater practice leader. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you very much, Brett. 